This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. We're about a month into the Major League Baseball 2021 season, and uh, it's been an up and down season for some of these teams, but uh, you're going to get all of that info here on this episode of Big Time Baseball. I'm Tony Gwynn Jr. alongside my partner, John Heyman. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Tony Gwynn Jr. He's at John Heyman. And now you can follow this podcast, Big Time Baseball. You can follow us at RDC underscore BTB. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review Big Time Baseball on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. John, how are you today, my man? I'm good. How are you, Tony? I am doing well. Uh, fresh off. Well, I shouldn't say it's fresh anymore. I mean, the last weekend series was that uh, big showdown between the Dodgers and Padres. It did not disappoint. Um, but I, I guess we should start with a few of these controversial calls, or I should say non-overturned calls that we seemingly keep getting um, via, the, via the replay. I mean, where are you at with this? Uh, uh, what do you make of the reluctancy, it seems, to overturn calls? Uh, I don't see what could possibly be going wrong in between what we're seeing on our television screens and what uh, the officials are seeing on their replay screens. Yeah, I'm not sure, Tony. I mean, uh, I have one TV screen that I'm looking at. Sometimes they give you two or three angles. Uh, they supposedly have something like 18 angles that they're looking at. I'm not sure. Uh, but I wonder why we know and they don't know, it seems like sometimes. I'm um, not sure what goes on in that replay booth in New York City. Uh, it does seem like they're very reluctant to overturn calls. And the standard is supposed to be clear and convincing. Well, I mean, the play uh, where Elvis Andrus slid across home and his full palm was on home and they then the tag was made. And they call them out, and then they upheld the call. They confirmed, quote-unquote, confirmed the call. Um, I didn't get it. Obviously, Bob Melvin, the A's manager, didn't get it. I don't think anybody got it. Uh, it was clear, and it was convincing, and it should have been overturned. And we're seeing that far too frequently. Too many calls are getting confirmed that were wrong calls to begin with. Yeah, and, and, and does Major League Baseball really want the at least the optics of this to to look like umpires are having a hard time turning over their fellow umpires calls and that's what the conversation is leading to whether that's right or wrong doesn't really matter that's the that you don't want that to be the perception and that seeming seems to be where major league baseball is headed right now based on how replay has been handled yeah either that or they don't understand what clear and convincing means uh to me right. it should just be whatever it looks like that should be the call at this point forget what the umpire called don't even think about it but in this case what the umpire called seems to weigh extremely heavily it should just be if you're not sure uh you know if you really can't tell which way okay then go right. with the call on the field but 
I mean, that Andrus call, that was obvious. There have been other obvious calls yeah, that were like, not over Yeah. The Bohm, right? The Bohm, to me, the Bohm wasn't quite as bad as this because in this one, you see the guy's hands, you see Andrus' hands sliding across home. He's yeah. clearly safe. Uh, Bohm, you know, Bohm admitted afterward that he was out. Uh, so that pretty much sealed the deal. <laughs> right. But uh, I can see that one where the, the plate was blocked. You could make a case should have the plate have been blocked. You know, I, you know, it's a little bit there because Bohm was there ahead, but um, I, that was not the right call either. And there've been too many of those. Now, there's been a lot of conversation and it seemed to have kind of slowed over the last year or so, but you hear the term robo umps uh, and you hear, and I just make that as to be an automatic strike zone is, has there, has there been consideration for the robot element on the base pass? I thought it was only strike zone that we were talking. Yeah, I hope it's only strike zone. I, I'm fine yeah. with the strike zone. I like it. I'd like the right call on the strike zone. That affects a lot of games. I mean, if you look at the ump scorecards on Twitter, I know everyone should be looking at our Twitters, but the ump scorecard Twitter is interesting. Uh, you know, that gives the percent of accuracy, percent of consistency, and also the difference that the umpire made in the game. And sometimes even when they're 95% accurate, they can still make a run difference one way or the other in the game. Uh, I'd like the home plate umpire not to make any difference and just call what it should be and not have this framing, which to me is just like faking the umpire out, be a, be a thing in baseball. Just Make the right, just have the right call, and it's okay if we have someone standing behind the plate, of course, because they need to have calls on the safer out at home, and uh, it's okay if he raises his right arm when he's told that's a strike and uh, yells ball when he hears ball. But uh, you know, let's get it right, hundred um, percent. It's fine on the base pass, particularly since we can overturn the bad calls anyway. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm all for the robo umps at this point, and. Uh, that's the experimentation that's going on uh, right now in the minors uh, is for the home uh, playing up iron balls and strikes. Now, to be clear, I wasn't suggesting that we need robo umps on the base pass. I was just making clear <laughs> that we're only talking when it's, when you hear the term robo umps, it's, it's, per, it's pertains to the automatic strike zone, which I think a lot of people are, have come around to the fact that you kind of want those calls to be right. It, it can sway and at bat, you know, going one, one from one, two to two, one, or vice versa can have a huge effect on on you know what happens in these at bats. So uh, we're going to move on from this whole umpire discussion. But I, I would suggest this: the the rules that it have the most success in terms of uh, you know, especially recently, you think about the three batter minimum. I think it comes into play. I think people have enjoyed it a little bit more than they thought because. It doesn't like interrupt the play of game, right? The the, the pace of game, everything just kind of goes. You don't think about it every day. It's not in your face. I think the challenge with the automated strike zone is if you have it, you got to have a, a way to have the transition almost seamless to where the, the common fan is not in their face and are not thinking about it 24-7. I don't know how you actually accomplish that, but that would go a long way in, in making these rule changes. Yeah. All right. You know, I've seen a game. I've seen a game, and it's fine for me. I mean, I'm not the common fan, I guess, but I, I, I'm okay with the uh, the robo up. I think it it's it's okay in terms of the some of the other rule changes. Uh, the three batter, I was uh, never in favor to begin with. It's been better than I thought. Um, right. I do think uh, in that game uh, where St. Louis uh, Genesis Cabrera uh, hit. 
uh, Harper in the face. I would have liked to see him thrown out of the game, first of all. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't thrown out, but once he's not thrown out, I would have liked to have seen him taken out by Mike Shelton. At that point, he didn't hadn't faced three batters, so he had to stay in, and then he hits Gregorius. So uh, that's certainly one example where the three-batter rule was not a positive yeah. Uh, yeah. at all. Um, so, uh, But generally, it's not been as bad as I thought. And I like some of the other rules. I like the man on second. I don't. I might yeah. be in the minority on that, but uh, I I don't want to see games drag on forever. And I like the strategy that goes into it. More strategy, right? Right. I think I don't think many of us anticipated the type of strategy that happens when you have to start with a runner on second in these extra inning games. But it's brought up a whole bunch of different strategies. I've seen it twice in two different games between the Dodgers and, and the Padres, which segues perfectly into. Our next uh, discussion here, and that was, uh, John, what were your takeaways from this Dodger-Padres series that we just finished seeing? Seven games. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought they were fabulous. Um, I think there's a case that could be made. They're the two best teams in baseball. Uh, I think it's it's pretty clear to me the Dodgers are the best team. Um, you know, the Padres had the best winter. They might be the second best team. Um, they're certainly a very exciting team. Uh, the Tatis is the most exciting player in the game. I, I concur with that. Um, and you know, I think the Tatis, uh, Bauer, uh, rivalry that's already started up is, has been fantastic for the game. Uh, you like to have a hero and a villain and it's pretty clear yeah. that Tatis <laughs> is the hero and at least for me, Bauer is the villain, but you know, he, he had some good things to say recently. I don't know whether he's improving or what, but I like the fact that he said he doesn't mind it when, uh, Tatis got on him a bit with the eye close thing and circling the bases after the home run and closing his eye and uh, kind of uh, suggesting uh, I can do it too. Uh, I loved it. The fans loved it. And uh, it's good to see that Bauer loved it as well. Yeah. Listen, you got to give, you got to give Trevor Bauer some credit on this. I mean, he certainly isn't, he isn't a hypocrite when it comes to, he dishes it out, but he's also willing to take it. And to be quite frank, there aren't a lot of pitchers who are, who, who would be willing to, to take it, which is also in part why they don't give it. You know, I think uh, Trevor's a little bit different where he's going to, he's going to stare you down after he strikes, strikes you out. He might uh, Conor McGregor strut off the mound if he punches out the side, but if you hit a ball off him and it's and it's a, a bomb and you decide to do whatever it is you do, I love the fact that he's not he's not going to take uh, issue with it. Now on yeah, the flip he side, he absolutely yeah. can't. Once you once you announce, uh, you know, I can beat these guys one eye closed. You know, exactly. you, you got to be able to take it, and, and he does. I'm with you. I, I give him credit. If he couldn't take it, we'd really be all over him. But all it's over good him. that he can take it. Yeah, no no doubt about it. Um, that was obviously a terrific series, and as you mentioned. Uh, the Dodgers are, are sitting atop of the division right now, tied with the actual the San Francisco Giants. And the Padres are still trying to get themselves together offensively. But it, it certainly was an epic series. And I think we're all hopeful that we'll get to see it again down the road in the playoffs. But there's a matchups in June, matchups in August. So Major League Baseball spread this schedule out right in terms of that matchup. All right. Can we talk about Major League Baseball and, and Elias's decision not to allow – uh, the seven inning no hitter to be considered a no hitter. I, I personally have an issue with this because this is to no fault of 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 uh, Madison Bumgarner. I mean, Major League Baseball came out and said, you know what, we're going to do double headers. There'll be seven inning games. That those will be complete games. But 
even though it's not a nine hitter, uh, a nine inning no hitter, you can obviously put some type of asterisk or note next to it, but it still should be considered a no hitter, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I like your enthusiasm. I'm with you. Uh, probably not quite as uh, uh, sure about this one as you are. Um, I-, I agree. I mean, he couldn't have done any better than that. It counts as a complete game, a seven-inning complete right. game. So it's a little odd to say it's not a no-hitter. I guess they're trying to keep the sanctity of the no-hitters, and those are such special achievements. And I guess I saw someone write that uh, Nolan Ryan had 21 no-hitters uh, through seven innings or something like that, and it's not the same. It's harder to get that eighth and ninth inning, particularly after you're tired, and, and particularly in this day and age where very few pitchers throw eight innings, much less nine. And it's even more special, I think, to throw a no hitter. But I, I'm with you. I mean, he's only he could only throw seven inning game right. there as long as his team was ahead. So um, you know, I think it should count. For now, it's being called a notable achievement. It's kind of Elias's call. Uh, you know, they're numbers experts. I mean, I I do see the other side to some degree, but uh, I, I vote with you, particularly after seeing your enthusiasm, Tony. I, I can't <laughs> I'm just saying, like, baseball has a bunch of these weird – I mean, for a long time, seasons, they didn't play 162 games. He played 140. And so numbers have been accumulated the way they've been accumulated. And in this case, listen, I get Nolan Ryan through 21 no-hitters through seven innings, but – the games were officially nine inning games. Those that's a different ball game. Like if the official games were seven innings, we wouldn't be having that conversation. But uh, you know, it's it's one of those weird things that you'd like to see Major League Baseball kind of kind of kind of meet everybody where this kind of should be. And I know there's kind of a mixed crowd in terms of whether it should be a no hitter or, or not. But let's slide to to New York because uh, Jacob Degrom is once again doing things that you know. Uh, for a lot of us didn't think it was possible. I mean, he continues to add miles prior to his fastball, everything, his stuff seems to get better. And, you know, we're, we're talking about all of a sudden you're hearing the, the, the hall of fame come up more frequently when you're talking about him. What do you make of his start? He passed Tom Seaver for the best ERA in Mets history. What, what do you see from him right now that is, is separating him from everybody else? Yeah, before we went on, Dylan asked me whether this is the best peak that I've ever seen. And since I missed Koufax by, you know, basically a year, I, I never did see Koufax. And looking at his numbers, I mean, it's tough to top that, particularly with the, the world titles that he helped them win a couple times uh, and all those Cy Youngs in a row. Uh, but in terms of the peak, in terms of a three, four-year period, you know, obviously uh, – Randy Johnson was fantastic, winning four Cy Youngs in a row. Uh, Johan Santana, Santana, who did not make the Hall of Fame, was incredible. I mean, obviously, we've seen Maddox. We've seen a lot of good pitch, great pitchers in this era. Not good, great pitchers. But, I mean, this, to me, this is the best three, four-year peaks I think I've ever seen. Uh, he's almost unhittable, but he's just hittable enough that he has trouble winning games. Um, it's amazing to me to see an ERA of, uh, 0.5 and be two and two to see that first year where he had a 170 ERA and he was 10 and nine. I mean, he is just incredibly unlucky in terms of winning games. The Mets don't hit for him. They aren't able to close games for him. I, I'm not sure what that's about. I saw somebody write that he's really not unlucky and they cited some stat. You know, that's just thinking too deep. You're you're thinking too deep now. You just watch the games. The guy is the best right. pitcher in the game by far. And yet he's barely above a 500 pitcher over his career. So 
Um, you know, I mean, I think that's going to hurt him in terms of MVP. It doesn't hurt him. Cy Young, we don't go by wins and losses anymore, but it's hard to be an MVP if you're, let's say, you know, six and eight or something like that. I don't know how you get to be MVP, but he's certainly been the best player in the league so far. Uh, if you count pitcher and hitter and, uh, really incredible in terms of the hall of fame, since you brought it up, Tony, I think he's got 72 wins at this point as we, as we talk about this. You know, he's obviously not going to get to even 200 win, wins. Um, 150 might be a stretch. I mean, he's just kind of warming up now. He's clearly what you would call a late bloomer at age 32. He might double that win total. But, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a peak guy. So, I mean, if he yeah, does this yeah. for another year or two, uh, you know, you're the best player in the game for a few years. To me, you're a Hall of Famer. Of course, I voted for Mattingly. You know, people look at his career totals, they don't blow you away, but he was the best or second or third best player in the game for a five or six year period. So I supported him. And uh, to me, I'm not about as much about compiling numbers as I am about, you know, being great for at least, you know, a few year period. And he is that. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I, listen, I, I he's got to do it for another three, two, three, four, maybe four years. At this level, and I think it, it's it's going to be very hard not to have him in that conversation and include him because of what you mentioned as the peak years. I mean, it's one thing to have an accumulation over a course of a career, but when you can combine it in a in an eight nine year span uh, at that at the kind of level that he's at, it would be really really difficult. And I think the one thing he has going for him, you mentioned him being a late bloomer, he doesn't have the kind of innings on his arms that some other thirty two year old. Uh, pitchers would he, he just doesn't he started as you mentioned he was a late bloomer wasn't a pitcher his whole life I think all of that kind of plays into it now you mentioned MVP and obviously DeGrom right now is in that conversation um, if you had to pick an MVP right now who, who would it be yeah I, I'd probably go with Acuna I mean yeah uh, me too you know he's been fantastic you know maybe he hasn't been quite as fantastic the last few days but uh you know, at this point, I'm not going to look at who, which, who's leading the division, although I do count that. To me, most valuable means just that. You're valuable and you help your team win. But uh, we're talking about the best player. A case certainly could be made for DeGrom. Uh, you know, uh, you know. He, I guess if you, you throw in pitchers too, he's, you could say he's been the best. But uh, I see that case. But other than DeGrom, you, you look at your focus on Position players, obviously Harper's been really good, but nobody's been better than Acuna among the position players. Yeah, I, I hate even having this conversation in April. Nobody's even other than Acuna, and a, then other than Acuna has really had a chance to like get it really hot and, and start the season. You're going to see a couple. You're going to see guys do it in May, in June, in July. So, uh, but right now, I think it is Acuna. He's he's the complete player right now, and he's been on the field. He's um, although he may not have swung a bat well in the last couple, he's been terrific until this point. So uh, I, I like him too. In terms of surprise teams, though, John, uh, we talked a lot about the Royals, the Red Sox. Uh, who who are your surprise team and, and who are your disappointments right now? Yeah, I mean, I got to say Boston put them at the top. Uh, no one was expecting too much from them, and uh, they've been fantastic. In fact, they're, I think, the one team that's really hitting over 260 to this point yeah, of the year. Yeah. Uh, give them credit in a, a year where the pitchers are doing well and uh, teams are hitting 220 and competing uh, to, to actually hit well. Uh, you know, it's pretty impressive. Uh, obviously, uh, 
you know, they've got Bogerts, they got JD Martinez back on track. Devers is an out, outstanding player. They added all those versatile guys. I mean, uh, Verdugo can hit. I, I like their lineup. I didn't expect them to be too good, though, because I was concerned about their pitching, particularly with Sale not there. But let's not forget, Eduardo Rodriguez, now that he's back on the mound, is quite a good pitcher. Garrett Richards, if he's healthy, he's good. Uh, Evaldi, he's got talent. So, I mean, maybe we shouldn't be shocked, but to me, I guess they're the surprise. You know, Kansas City, I think they're on the come. I think they're going to be good. Uh, they have some good young pitchers that we haven't seen yet. Bobby Witt's going to be a star, but, uh, I mean, to be realistic about it, it feels like they're playing Detroit or Pittsburgh every other day, and I love Dayton Moore. I, we had Mike Matheny on, and we, we are a good luck charm. Whoever we have on seems to be in first place. Uh, right. <laughs> but... Uh, look at their schedule. Uh, they played one team with a winning record, and that's the White Sox, and they're barely got a winning record at this point. So, um, you know, I'm going to reserve judgment on the Royals. The Bay Area has been fantastic. The Giants, their pitching has been really good. Uh, I'm not shocked that their hitting has been okay. I, it, it could even improve. And the A's, uh, as you know, I picked them, so I'm not surprised about them. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Royals, for sure. Giants, uh, Diamondbacks have played well to start yep. the season. Again, it's April, so uh, you can't put too much stock in, in some of these squads yet. Uh, but but certainly, uh, you mentioned the Red Sox. That's been a, a complete surprise to me. And, um, you know, we'll see if they can continue to um, play some good baseball here moving into the next month. All right. Uh, you know, for, for our show in particular, we like to uh, jump into the insider. And – John usually has a, a, a bunch of good jewels for us when we go into the insider. And it's never too early to talk trade speculation. It's never too early. I know it's April. Yep. It's not It's not generally a time you start talking uh, trades. But an insider, it, it's a little bit different. Where Are you hearing any different things out there at this point? Well, right now, it's going to be mostly speculation because it is early. Uh, we're not sure who's a contender and who's a pretender uh, right now, but um, you know I've got uh, I've got eight starting pitchers on a list here, and I know obviously Max Scherzer's already been talked about, and he's the the biggest name uh, on the list, no question about that. Um, but I've got seven other starting pitchers, and I've got uh, uh, five position players who are potential potential trade bait. Of course, a lot of that depends on them, and certainly most of it depends on the team. If a team's in the race. You know, I'm going to have to take him off the list. Uh, Scherzer is obviously the most uh, obvious name that's already been out there, and people speculating the Nats are off to a pretty slow start. Not as bad as 2019. Now, we had the Scherzer speculation in 2019 when everyone thought he was going to get traded, and he certainly was talked about. The Nats got off to an absolutely horrific 60-game start, and they were one of the worst teams in baseball. And they held on to him and ended up winning the World Series, and he was an enormous part of it. And uh, that's part of the reason I am still skeptical about whether Scherzer really might be traded. In this case, he is a free agent uh, after the year, so that boosts the chances of a trade. But now knowing how they operate and how Mike Rizzo, the GM, operates even more and how reluctant he is to give up on a season and how smart that was in 2019 – uh, you know, I'm still of the belief that Scherzer is most likely to stay with the Nats and they're likely to extend him and he's likely to finish his career there. That's been one of the, you know, I talked to an owner this morning and he named that as one of the best free agent contracts ever signed by a team. Uh, he's been absolutely fabulous. And, uh, 
We know the Nats rewarded Strasburg for that great seven-year deal they had with him, and hasn't started out so great the first two years since re-signing him to the $245 million deal. Not because he isn't good, but the injury questions have cropped up with him. But um, I, I'm still reluctant to say that Scherzer's likely to be traded. He's on my list, but uh, that's the first name on the list. But I, I do have seven others. Two of the Reds, we'll see on the Reds, they've been a little bit up and down, and they could easily be a contender, particularly in the Central, where we're not expecting anyone to run away with it. We both like Milwaukee, but uh, the four out of the five teams have a shot there. We're not going to really say Pittsburgh has a, has a good shot, but uh, I think the Reds, uh, Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray, not off to great starts. Now, Gray did look good against the Dodgers in his last outing. Uh, two star starters uh, who were discussed in the in the winter uh, off of the red season when they were going to lose Bauer, obviously. And uh, they did talk about it in the winter. And if they're not in the race, I think there is a decent chance that one or both of them does get moved. Um, you know, Kyle Gibson has had some very good games already with the R Rangers. Uh, I'm not anticipating them to be a factor this year. I do think that they're going to be big in the winter and they will be a big factor next year, but I could easily see Gibson being traded. Uh, the Cubs have a couple of guys, but the most interesting starter would be Kyle Hendricks. Uh, not off to a good start, but we know how good a pitcher he is and how he could help a team uh, down the stretch. Uh, Colorado's got a couple of guys. Obviously, the Rockies uh, have changed GMs now. Uh, they're the one team in the West not doing well. They're the one team likely to be a seller. And uh, John Gray is off to a fabulous start, and he has big value. I could see it. He's not a free agent for a couple of years, but I could see it. And uh, and uh, Marquez is off to a very nice start as well. Uh, and uh, he has some good value. He's got a long deal already, but uh, I could see potentially him being dealt. And the last one is Matt Harvey. I do think the Orioles signed him with the idea that, you know, he could fill a rotation spot for a while and then be trade bait. And uh, he had a nice start against the Yankees recently, and uh, I could see him having some value as well. So there we go. There's my grade eight, uh, and we'll see if I'm right on any of them. Uh, but like I said, I, I don't think Scherzer's getting traded. He's the most interesting one of the group, but uh, if I had to put odds on it, I would say they're slim on Scherzer, but he, he's the guy that people will be talked about, but they will talk about. But there are some other good names on there, Gray to two grays, Sonny Gray and John Gray in particular, and Castillo. Yeah, I mean, look at that. that's a early April speculated trade list right there from, from <laughs> Mr. Heyman. Uh, John, let's talk about uh, some of the sellers. Who I know it's early. Again, i use that caveat here in April, uh, but there's always some teams out there that are that look like sellers early and, and turn out to be. Who, who are those teams? Well, I do think that uh, Pittsburgh will be a seller. They were a seller all uh, winter. They obviously uh, traded Tyone. They traded Musgrove, who's obviously been fantastic over for your team, the Padres. And uh, they're willing to make deals, uh, obviously. Look at all any of their veteran players, and uh, they're all – uh, ripe for the taking. Um, you know, they don't have the, the name starting pitchers at this point that, that made my list, but uh, they certainly have position players, uh, Adam Frazier and some others that could be dealt. Uh, so I could see them as a seller. You know, well, I think Scherzer will stay whether they're in it or not. Uh, the Nats could be a seller, uh, obviously with Strasburg injured, not off to a great start. I wouldn't be shocked if they made some other trades. Uh, the Reds, we'll see. They could go either way. I mean, they've got talent. Uh, they they could be in the race if they're not. As I said, we've got those two 
uh, starters. Uh, Texas, to me, they're a likely seller. Uh, you know, the Cubs, they've been speculated forever. And obviously, we've got some position players there with the Cubs that are interesting uh, that we could talk about next. And, uh, you know, the Rockies are a clear seller. And obviously, they've got one very big position player who could be uh, on the block. And that will be uh, very, very interesting. All right. Lastly, John, you know, every year we see it across baseball, there are, are certain guys on, on rosters that everybody thinks is untradeable and that we won't be able to, we won't see those type of guys get traded. And then year in and year out, it seems, especially over the last couple of years, they end up getting moved. Do we have any guys like that this year in 2021? Well, there are superstars who could be on the block and we'll see if they actually do get dealt. I mean, we have obviously have seen some big names uh, be dealt in, in recent years, you know, um, so I'm not going to rule it out. And as I, I talked about Scherzer already, I mean, I think he probably fits that category, but I'm going to head over to the position players here. Uh, and I think some of these guys have already been speculated on, but it's still a surprise to some degree when you see a superstar uh, being traded at the deadline. So I'm going to go over a few superstars here who could be uh, dealt. Um, I have one that would be a real surprise because these other uh, three, three or four have been mentioned as potential trade bait. But obviously with the Cubs, we'll see if they're a contender or not. In that division, I'm not going to rule it out. But uh, to me, um, you know, once you trade Darvish, you're kind of signaling, you know, this maybe isn't your year. And so far, they're not hitting enough as a team uh, to really be a contender. And uh, Chris Bryant uh, is a free agent after the year. Um, you know, obviously he's had some battles with the Cubs. They went to an arbitration hearing, um, or mediation over whether he should be a free agent over F, even after last year or this year. And he had to wait to this year and he's off to a big start. And I know we was talked about in the winter and they didn't get their price, but, um, you know, he was coming off of a uncharacteristic year, shall we say. And now he's performing like Chris Bryant can perform for him. He's a former MVP. So, uh, let's not be shocked if Chris Bryant is dealt. Uh, Baez, you know, a lot of people have knocked his start, and he certainly strikes out a ton, and that comes with the territory with him when he's not hitting well. But he's a streaky player, and, I mean, he could be a big performer uh, for somebody else down the stretch. Uh, he's still up there in stolen bases. He still hit his share of home runs for the Cubs, and he's still one of the best defenders in baseball, uh, if not the best defender, certainly in that upper echelon. So, um, you know, it's always a surprise when a star of that nature gets traded, but he is a free agent like Brian after the year, so let's not be too shocked. Uh, another superstar in that shortstop class, the one who could be traded is Trevor Story. Obviously, with the Rockies, they're not in it. Um, you know, they're not going to re-sign him. I, I don't see it. Uh, you know, this point, I could see why Arenado re-signed and why Tulowitzki signed a long deal. And while Story likes being in Colorado, um, they don't look like they're going to contend for a little while. And I think it's going to be it would be quite a quite a shock if if he resigns. So it makes sense for him to be dealt uh, this this summer. Uh, so I do think Story could be traded. Uh, and the more of the surprise category, I mean, name we haven't heard anyway. I could see again, maybe I'm picking on the Nats. Maybe they'll come back. But uh, Kyle Schwarber is that kind of power hitter that teams look for. Uh, to pop at a home run that they may need and going down the stretch. And I could see him being dealt. But I guess the biggest surprise name that I have on the list early uh, would be Nelson Cruz, who's been, you know, perhaps the best home run hitter over the last decade in baseball. If you go by yeah, the numbers, no he has. 
And I, we all expected the Twins to be a playoff team. I, we, I think you and I both had the White Sox in that division. But uh, the Twins look like a very good team on paper. They have been a good team the last couple of years. They're not off to a good start. Even with Byron Buxton now really becoming that superstar that we all expect yeah, him to yeah. be. Uh, but Nelson Cruz, who's off to his usual start, really tormenting starting pitchers. You know, if they're playing like this or a little better than this, uh, you know, I mean, he could bring big value at the trade deadline. Uh, he is one of the now the best, one of the best power hitters, one of the best hitters in the game, and uh, he is a free agent after the year on that one year deal. So, uh, you know, that would be my biggest surprise, I guess, on my early list. And of course, this is all speculative, and we'll be talking about this a lot over the next several weeks. But uh, I wouldn't hold me to these thirteen names because certainly a lot can change over the next few weeks. Yeah, we see that year in and year out as well. You mentioned the Twins, and they're off to a struggling start, 8-15 and 15 to start the year. Certainly uh, not a, a contending-type record, at least in April. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Big Time Baseball. Again, you can follow myself at Tony Gwynn Jr. He's at John Heyman on Twitter. And, of course, now you can follow our Big Time Baseball podcast. Uh, follow us at RDC underscore BTB. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review Big Time Baseball on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Until next week, we'll see you then. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.